Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Last Leg here at WDVM, Impact 89 FM in Holden Hall. I'm your host, Alexa McCarthy. So the first anniversary of the Boston bombing is right around the corner, and it's needless to say that the event had not only a large effect on the American public, but also the running community. And here with me today is Northville High School teacher Chris Ford, who is an active runner and has run in the Boston Marathon five years and is returning this year to watch his wife run in the marathon. He's here to talk about not only his experience last year at the marathon, but everywhere. Um, So Chris, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. It's uh, nice that you had me, and I hope everything goes well today. (laughs) Um, So can you give us a little background just about yourself, and when did you start running? Yes. um, I've always kind of run a little bit, and I've coached coached boys tennis uh, for nine years at Northville High School, so I usually ran to help keep me in uh, in tennis shape. But I ran my first marathon uh, when I was 45 and was only a couple minutes shy of qualifying for Boston. And I've run a total of uh, 17 cents, and I'm uh, 52 right now. So oh, wow. it's something that uh, that I've picked up uh, uh, pretty quickly, and it's uh, cheap therapy, as I like to tell people. How many years have you been? How many years have you ran in uh, the Boston Marathon? Uh, I've run it a total of five times. My first was in 2009, okay. and last year was my uh, fifth. I did not requalify for this year, but. Okay. On Saturday, I did requalify for 2015 at the Martian Marathon in Dearborn. Uh, my wife and I did our first half marathon in 2001. Uh, that was the Dexter Ann Arbor race. And I didn't do another half until 2006. I think it was a Detroit uh, Free Press. Uh, and I did that as a primer for my first marathon in 2007, which was also the Detroit Free Press Marathon. Anything that kind of kept you on the sport in particular? Um, well, I think that it, you know, it's very easy. You can run anywhere. All you need is, you know, your shoes and a pair of shorts. Uh, it's inexpensive. Uh, you can go at your own pace. So depending on how you're feeling, you can uh, speed up or slow down. You don't have to reserve court time. You don't have to make sure that uh, there's open swim hours, like you were going to go to a pool or something. So uh, like I said, it's very, very convenient. You can do it uh, anywhere, um, and you can go at your own pace, and that's one of the wonderful things about it. Going back to your first marathon, what was that experience like for you? <laughs> sure. Yeah, well, uh, I, I tell people that you know running a marathon is, uh, well, first of all, it's very, very special. About 1% of the population has uh, completed a marathon. But uh, your first marathon, you realize mentally that you can run one. You learn how to do marathons with each subsequent one. So the first one, um, I was just trying to finish in under four hours as my training progressed. Then I thought I could get something in the 340s. And as it got closer to race day, I was you know, going to be pretty happy with something in the 340s, and I ended up with uh, 333, which for my age group at the time qualifying for Boston was uh, three hours, 30 minutes. But they gave you 59 seconds, so really the qualifying standard was 330.59. So uh, I was only a couple minutes uh, short at uh, 3.33.07. So some of our listeners may not know that you actually have to qualify for the Boston Marathon. So as I'm correct, by running on a qualified marathon course under a set time, which is specific to each age group, and um, if I'm correct, the times for qualification have gone faster over the years. So they kind of keep you, everyone working hard, correct? Oh, correct. Uh, At one time... The standard for anyone to get in was about three hours, five minutes, three hours, ten minutes. Then I'm not sure what year it was, but they went to uh, an age-graded system so that obviously the older you were, because you don't get faster as you get older, the slower you had to run in order to qualify to get into Boston. 
I think they tried to keep the criteria for both men and women and with each of the age groups in uh, five-year increments so that about 10 or 12 percent of the marathon population uh, can qualify. Some races, it's obviously a little bit higher, some a little bit lower, depending on the difficulty of the course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, uh, it's it's been that way probably, I would guess, for maybe 25, 30 years. Uh, could be a little bit uh, less, but they actually tightened up the qualifications uh, two or three years ago when they dropped all of the uh, age groups uh, back five minutes. Yeah. So, for instance, like for a 50 to 54-year-old male where I'm at right now, it uh, used to be 335, and now it's 330. I mean, so while it does attract several thousands of runners each year, there's definitely a level of seri- seriousness to the race because, I mean, the people who are there are meant to be there. They qualified. Would you? Correct, except for people that are running for a charity that have to raise a, raise a certain amount of money. Okay. Uh, it's no one's first marathon because they had to qualify to get in there. And the, uh, the, the running IQ is, uh, is very high with Boston as compared to uh, a lot of other races. And the field yeah. overall is, uh, is, uh, is pretty fast. Yeah, I mean, I haven't been there, but I've heard it's like the mecca of great runners. It's a pretty special environment. It is. That's a wonderful analogy right there. So compared to other marathons, how would you describe the environment of the, of the Boston Marathon in the city of Boston in, in that, on that day? Yeah, well, uh, Boston, you know, is obviously the oldest marathon uh, in the country. Um, it's, pro- it's not the largest. New York and Chicago are larger. But uh, Boston has a certain aura to it that, uh, that makes it special because it is the oldest and because you do have to qualify to get in. Uh, the course itself does actually not uh, qualify as a world record course because it doesn't meet the criteria. Okay. It has a net drop of some 400-plus feet. And it's a point-to-point. The race begins in Hopkinton, Massachusetts, which is, you know, obviously about 26 miles west mm-hmm. of Boston, then it finishes downtown. Yeah, but, well, uh, it's quite yeah, Boston hilly, is, uh, special. It's what everyone strives for, and uh, it's the uh, it's a standard for distance running. From what I heard, the just the whole city of Boston creates really great energy. I mean, it's on Patriots Day. I guess that's right. They call it Patriots Day, which is the anniversary of Paul Revere's historic ride through Boston. And I know that a lot of times the Red Sox play on that day, so it's really a whole it's the whole city that really takes part um, nope you're right it's held the third monday of april every year and uh there's seven cities that the marathon runs through and the cities uh take a great deal of pride in being a part of the boston marathon and so it's nice to see as you're running through each of those communities the number of people that come out to, to support the runners and cheer everybody on would you say that that's really what brings every aside from qualifying times if you qualify i mean is that what brings every, people back every year Definitely, definitely. And like I said, so you guys are, your wife qualified this year, correct? Well, actually, um, she got in this year because she was in the group that was not able to finish last year. They were about a half mile from the finish line. So those runners that weren't able to finish, uh, they allowed to re-register for this year's race uh, without having to re-qualify and run to finish the race that that was held up because of the uh, the bombings last year. Segwaying, you know, to last year, you, we said your wife was still on the course. Where were you at the time? Yeah, when the bombs went off, uh, the first one occurred at uh, on the the Boston was run in um, last year. There was three different waves. So the mm-hmm. elite runners, uh, the elite men, and the first wave goes off at uh, ten o'clock. Then the second wave at ten twenty, and the third wave at ten forty. So the uh, third wave clock was most of those runners that were caught uh, in the uh, in the blast. Uh, read four hours, nine minutes, and about 54 seconds. 
so I had finished about 54 minutes earlier, and the agreement with my wife and I was that we would meet by the gear check buses, by her bus in particular, after I was done, and I would have her warm clothes and uh, you know her cell phone and uh, you know some, you know, some uh, uh, wipes and the banana and that for her when she finished up. Uh, and I was standing by the buses uh, when the first blast uh, went off, and the other people that were standing uh, near the buses themselves waiting for their gear to be taken off the bus, uh, everybody's head immediately turned and looked down the street. It was you know 10, 12 seconds later that the second one went off, and then that's when I'd commented to a woman that was uh, standing near me that uh, something didn't sound right and you know, something yeah. had gone wrong because uh, it just didn't sound that normal. But after, even after the blast occurred, there was no panic. Um, you know, there was, I was about two and a half blocks away along Boylston Street, uh, and the finish line is, uh, is, uh, is on Boylston itself. Mm-hmm. And the runners that were still coming down Boylston Street towards the gear check buses uh, that had finished, you know, they had their Mylar blankets, they had their metal, they had been given their water, bagels, bananas. Uh, they weren't going to be moving quickly anywhere because you know, you've, yeah. uh, you've spent all the energy that you've got when you know, you're running 26 miles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wasn't until probably a couple, maybe five minutes later, that we real, really realized that there was a sense of urgency. And that's when we saw more of the, uh, the volunteers and the emergency personnel uh, tend to gravitate towards uh, the finish area. Uh, because I had not seen my wife come through yet at that time, and I knew she was uh, going to be getting in around 4.10, or that's what she was hoping for. She had run Boston at a, at a 4.13 pace uh, in her previous uh, uh, Boston Marathon, which was 2010. Uh, so I actually started walking towards the uh, finish line, thinking that I might see her coming towards me. Um, you know, she had just made it through in the last couple minutes and to see what was going on. Uh, I was probably about, uh, I only got about a half block, and I had called my father, uh, to ask if he knew what was going on because a couple of the volunteers didn't. And that's when he went online uh, and checked and saw that there was something going on at the finish line, didn't know exactly what, but some kind of an accident. And uh, he had mentioned that there were no runners coming through. So uh, when I realized there was no runners coming through, then I immediately turned around, went back by the gear check bus uh, that I was to meet uh, my wife, Michelle, at, and just figured I would stay there as long as possible until I saw her come through. Uh, it was about... Oh, 35 minutes after the, the first blast that I got a message from my uh, college roommate. He was able to get through on the cell phones, which was real intermittent, mm-hmm. that he had seen her 30K and 35K splits, and uh, he said mathematically she couldn't have been there uh, when, the, uh, when the blast occurred. So that was okay. the first time that I knew that she was probably okay. Mm-hmm. But I didn't actually get a message from her until about, oh, I'd say it was almost close to an hour Oh, after wow. the uh, the blast occurred, when she was able to borrow a cell phone and leave a message on mine, uh, indicating that they were being held up about a half mile away, and that uh, uh, they were just waiting for further instructions. Uh, so even she said that there was no real panic or anything with the runners that had held up. They had no idea what was going on. Gradually, people on the sides that were you know cheering the runners as they're coming into the finish area, mm-hmm. uh, some of them had cell phones and were indicating that there was you know, a bombing and an accident that occurred at the finish line. But to the runners that were held up, they didn't know if the, the route would just, uh, you know, take a different direction. Yeah. They didn't know to what extent at that point uh, what was going on at the finish area. Would they take care of the uh, people that needed emergency treatment and open up the finish lanes? Obviously, you know, afterward and seeing that, uh, you know, what the pictures were and what was going on at the finish line, 
there was no way they were going to be able to continue with that race. But yeah. uh, those runners that were held up, they just wanted to finish, you know, what they had set out to do that day. Right. And I think that's one of the things that makes this year so special for them is to go back and uh, actually finish that race. You found out about an hour after um, the first or the explosions where you got in contact with your wife. How long after did you guys um, see each other? Yeah, that's, uh, it was two and a half hours before I physically saw her. Even though I knew that mathematically she couldn't have been near the finish area and that she was okay, mm-hmm. uh, she had able she was able to borrow another person's cell phone uh, and call me and let me know where she was at. And that's where uh, well, I, I had actually had a like the other people that were waiting at the finish area for their loved ones or family members mm-hmm. to come through. And uh, we had been shuffled around a number of times. Um, at one point, we were told to go to Boston Common and then told to vacate Boston Common. There was even one police officer that was near uh, myself and another gentleman that I had kind of uh, palled around with for a little while. He was looking for his wife, too. A police officer even at one point said, we're evacuating the city. And the gentleman next to me turned to him and said, what do you mean you're evacuating the city? And the police officer said, whatever your plan B is, you need to go to it. You need to get out of this area right now. And we mm-hmm. joked with each other, as much as you can joke at the time, that, you know, plan B, uh, you know, we're way past plan B yeah. at this point. <laughs> uh, but uh, I knew that she was not too far away, and then the, the, I got the second message from her. She said that she was um, walking actually towards uh, the finish area uh, because most of the runners that were there had their you know, gear still on, their, uh, on the buses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when I knew where she was at, I told her to walk uh, north in the city towards uh, the Charles River, and I would meet her on the corner of uh, Berkeley and uh, Commonwealth Avenue, and that's when I actually uh, saw her. She had a, a blanket draped around her that somebody had been so kind to bring out from a hotel that was uh, near where they were uh, being held up at. The hotels were real good about bringing water out to people and the runners that were there because they started to cramp up. They didn't have you know, yeah. any nutrition, any fluids. Uh, you know, they were so close to finishing, they really needed that stuff. And once you stop running, it doesn't take long for the lactic acid to build up. Yeah, you can so uh, once they had been stationary for a little while, they weren't going to uh, really move a whole lot. So she was moving pretty slow, but was in good spirits, and everybody was so helpful and uh, friendly from the volunteers to the uh, spectators that were um, there to watch the race that day. Uh, even when we were walking back to our car at MIT, a number of students, they, you know, saw that, you know, I had the medal around my neck, and they saw that uh, she was wearing, you know, her marathon bib and had a blanket and that, and they were all very, very uh, uh, helpful in terms of asking us if we needed water, did we need to use a phone, did we want to sit down, so everybody knew how grave the situation was, and uh, people just really pulled together to try to do what they could to help people. Wow, yeah, I mean, you seem to have such a clear memory, I mean, memory of it, everything and everything happening. Yeah, well, I think it's... When anyone goes through something you know, that's traumatic like that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it sticks with you for a long time. And you know, we, we were really you know, fine. We were inconvenienced for a few hours. Um, you know, the people that, you know, my wife and I have talked about this uh, quite a bit, the people you know, that I really feel for and the people that really deserve you know, most of the attention is the families of the three people that, uh, that died that day and the 260 people that were injured that will look at that day far differently than we do and whose lives were changed uh, a great deal more than ours were. Um, we also had a number of uh, friends from a couple running groups that we're involved with uh, that were running. Uh, that day was, you know, a constant 
struggle to try to get information to see if everybody was okay and if their families were okay. We knew at one point that there weren't any runners that were injured, but because it was mostly uh, spectators, you know, we all had a number of uh, family members and friends right. uh, that would have been near the finish area that could easily have been uh, injured in the uh, in the attack. So, uh, cell phone service was you know, the, the system was overloaded, so messages were very intermittent and in, uh, coming through. And uh, sometimes we'd be able to get a call out and or call in. Sometimes uh, we wouldn't. Uh, and it really didn't clear up until later on that evening when we tried just calling back people that had left messages or texted us to try to see how we were doing. Just and you, I, you know, it's interesting you say it wasn't chaotic. Everybody was calm and helpful, and I think that's what you know. Correct. I think that's <laughs> if I can remember. Yeah. Well, also too, you know, I was a couple blocks away, so you know, that's we true. didn't see. Yeah was a, a lot of chaos, uh, you know, obviously, by the finish area right. and the speed at which the emergency workers worked to try to assist those that had been injured, uh, you know, was miraculous. Yes. Uh, so it's where I was at, a couple blocks away. Um, you know, the runners were certainly not panicking. The volunteers that were there were not panicking. They did what they had been trained to do, and they did what they needed to do to try to comfort and provide whatever was necessary for those that had uh, just finished the race. It's interesting because while the Boston Marathon is, you know, a serious race, running as a sport is, it's, it's very, like, you know, casual. Runners are very, you know, happy people. It's all those, it's kind of all those endorphins. So, yeah. you know, obviously there's security there, but it's nothing you immediately think about that, you know, at a running, you know, at a running race that these types of security on those types of things are going to be, Needed. I mean, I think, I think running events aren't usually the first place that one would think that um, one of these things would happen. I just, I think, just because of the nature of the type of people, you know. Yeah, you're right. No, that's a good point. And because of what happened at Boston last year, uh, we're involved with the uh, with the Turkey Trot uh, in downtown Detroit and with uh, the Corktown race um, for St. Patrick's Day in Detroit. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's very important for race organizers uh, to. You know, They've always uh, been you know, concerned about uh, runner and spectator safety, but uh, more now so than ever, uh, trying to keep in mind what uh, what, what could happen, yeah. uh, and trying to take the as many precautions as you can to try to ensure the, the safety of those that are that are running and those that might be uh, there to support those that are running. For that race, people come from all over the country, even you know other countries, to race to run in that race. And you know, as someone you're not, I'm you're not from Boston, but you know, a runner of that marathon, what did, you know, what did last year's events mean to you, or in your eyes, in the running community? Yeah, well, to, to, to me, I think it's a, a, a testament, you know, especially with them expanding the field this year and all the attention drawn to it this year, mm -hmm. that, uh, that, you know, we're not going to change our way of life because of terrorism. Um, you have to acknowledge that it exists and that it is a part of our society now. But good can triumph over evil. This race will go on again. Mm -hmm. It uh, is and will come back uh, stronger than it's ever been before. This will be the largest uh, field for the Boston Marathon since yeah. their 100th anniversary back in 1996. Uh, they expect about twice as many people out, and obviously the media coverage is going to be much greater this year yeah. than it usually is for the Boston Marathon. But I think it's a testament to the city of uh, the Boston uh, the organizers, the Boston Athletic Association, to put on the race itself, uh, that they're not going to let uh, you know terrorists uh, get get the better of, of them or uh, us as a, as a country. And so I think that's what makes uh, this year so special. And even though I'm not running, um, 
it's just really uh, neat that my wife is able to take part in this again, along with the other runners that are going to be there. And so uh, I don't have any qualms uh, about uh, going back and standing along the side of the street and supporting those that are there. And, uh, it should be a real special event on Monday. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I read about, you know, tons of runners, they're going back just because they feel, you know, a sense of duty to the race in the city. I mean, it's obvious the amount of runners who are running in this race, it's, you know, n- not the events didn't deter anybody from, you know, trying to qualify. Rather, I think it, you know, kind of sparked more of an interest. It seemed to have ignited an interest in running in the race, um, which I think, you know, it really is a sentiment to, you know, type of, you know, the running community. And, you know, we kind of were all there sure. for each other. Yep, you're right. I know a few people in particular. Uh, one, my uh, college roommate um, who lives in Austin, Texas, he's done Boston a number of times before, but right after the event fell last year, he said that uh, he was going to make sure he got back this year. Uh, he was actually a little bit uh, angry that somebody would even do something like that. Yeah. And it's not just the Boston Marathon. It could have been the World Series. It could have been the exactly. Super Bowl. It could have been uh, the Grammy Awards. It could have been uh, a number of the iconic events that we hold dear to our hearts and that are part of our American culture. It just so happened that it was uh, the Boston Marathon that this happened uh, at. But uh, all emergency personnel and responders and all uh, security personnel, now whenever there's a large number of people gathering somewhere, uh, these are the types of scenarios that they have to prepare for. And uh, that's just uh, the world that we live in, and I think we're well-equipped to handle this. Yeah, and I mean, I know the... The security at the race is, you know, it seems to be doubling. I know there's, like, you know, people can't bring in backpacks or any of those types of things. So they're definitely, definitely tightening the security with, you know, which is very, you know, very understandable. Yep, you're you're right. Yeah. So I guess what was it like coming, you know, coming back to Michigan, coming back to, you know, Northville High School um, after that? Uh, It was was very touching. There was a lot of uh, concern. Uh, from people. It wasn't too long after I'd gotten a number of texts and uh, phone calls from a number of my colleagues uh, and friends and, uh, and family. But so they were able to spread the word pretty quickly that uh, that I was okay and that uh, my wife was okay and that uh, nobody that we knew was uh, was uh, was injured. Yeah. Uh, but there was a lot of interest, uh, you know, with my students and uh, my colleagues when I went back to school. Um, you know, People that had never been involved in running before, and those that uh, that you know follow uh, uh, running uh, quite a bit, and it's amazing how many people uh, actually know somebody that has either run Boston or has run a marathon, or I think it just brought a little more attention to running in general, and it is on the upswing. Uh, you know, it's become so popular now, especially with some of the niche races with the tough mutters and the color runs. Uh, it seems like there's more and more people that are coming out uh, to support. Um, you know the, the the sport itself, but uh, but it was really wonderful uh, coming back uh, back home. Yeah, and I should mention I heard I heard about you through a couple of my friends who went to Northville, so there were definitely definitely yeah. people thinking about here at you here at MSU. So well, thank you so much for being on with us. I don't want to keep you from your busy weekend. Um, have a wonderful. Well, you're welcome. Have a wonderful. And this uh, has been a wonderful experience, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, attending the event on uh, on Monday and. Uh, Looks like the weather's going to be nice. Yeah. Uh, there'll be a lot of media attention, and uh, it should be a wonderful event this year. Great. Well, yes, again, have a wonderful time on Monday. I'm sure, you know, the world will be, the world will be watching. Um, well, thank you so much. Well, uh, yes, well, thank you very much. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, again, I'm Alex McCarthy for The Last Leg and for Impact Sports.